Welcome to Musicians vs. the World. Well, my friends, it's December. Time to reflect on another year gone by and to make goals for the years to come. Now, before we begin, I want to extend my warmest and deepest thanks to all of you, my listeners, that listen to this podcast. Now, it's my love for music and my wanting to help other musicians that made me start this project in the first place. But knowing that you're out there listening and enjoying the conversations and hopefully gaining something out of them, that's what really encourages me to keep going. Our audience has more than tripled over the past 12 months, which is absolutely incredible. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming back episode after episode and sharing this podcast with your friends. I truly, truly appreciate you. And as I look back on 2021, I can't help but think of the amazing people I have met and spoken with. We've spoken with composers, researchers, entrepreneurs, solo performers, orchestral performers, freelance performers, collaborative performers, leaders in the media, filmmakers, and everything in between. We've discussed all sorts of topics, such as the deeper side of music with Bruce Adolf and Keith Bradshaw. Well, it's complicated because being true to the composer is not as simple as it sounds. It, it actually needs you to understand yourself, too, and to understand how you can identify and relate to the music. So if all you're doing is, is following what's on the page exactly, that is probably not true to the composer. My father was once asked to say something spiritual about music, and he said, that's rather like saying something wet about water. It's hard to separate the two for me. Um, music, I think, good music is spiritual in nature to me. Whether it's about a sacred topic or not, music allows voice to things that we can't otherwise express. To the practical side of making a music career with Jared Judge, Doug Wilkes, and our friends Chantel and Russ at RPR Studios. If you don't market yourself in the right way, nobody is going to hear about you. And if nobody hears about you and nobody finds out about you, nobody can pay for what you are putting out there. Really pay attention to the audience of the different market you're in. Like, what's the Philadelphia Inquirer interested in? Do you know their editors? You know, only the really bigger media outlets are going to have uh, music critics. Can you get to know them? Can you say, hey, I'm just curious what interests you? What are they writing about the past 18 months? Is it all unique things? Or is it uh, mainstream things? Is it all awards or is it something else? So you have to find where does their audience intersect with what you want to do as a musician. And if you put those together, then you're going to have a much, much easier time because I want the audience. You just have to be tenacious and don't, don't give up. And like Chantel said, if you can create some kind of body of work, because the, the biggest thing is that, you know, if Chantel's hiring you or if if I'm going to recommend to Chantel that she hire someone or bring it in, that I have to trust that you can actually do the job and do it efficiently because we don't have time right. to train. We're, yeah. we're always on a timeline and we just need to know that if we need music for something, you're going to be able to, to score it in the time frame that we need. And it's, right. it's a big financial risk for us if you can't. So um, <laughs> make sure you have the, the background and the training, which I, you know, that goes with kind of unsaid. And then put something together that you can show the production company that you can actually do what they what they are looking for. And we've even broached some uncomfortable topics and what the music world is doing to address them. For example, the lack of diversity and inclusion in repertoire. Here's Jenny Boster, William Chapman Nayaho, and Rafi Basalian. 
the teacher had a list of 48 composers we were supposed mm-hmm. to listen to and learn about and zero women in that list. So out of all of those composers, there were none. Was it really? And I don't know if your experience was different if you had. And I was thinking back, I remember writing a paper about Robert Schumann. And so I mentioned Clara. Musically, I don't think we listened to anything by women. There was kind of this vibe I got that anyone not on this list was not worthy. You know, it wasn't ever spoken, you know, but it was just like, these are the most important (laughs) composers. As a pianist, you need to know these ones. The other ones, who cares kind of thing. Right. And I actually went to the exhibition hall and I asked around the publishers, do you have any music by composers of African descent? And, you know, the response is, do you mean Scott Joplin? And I said, no, you know... um, um, Florence Price or Margaret Bonds, and the answer was invariably, there doesn't seem to be much demand for it. And I was mm-hmm. like, the chicken or the egg, which came first? Right. So I right. mentioned that. I think the value is to open up the ears and the eyes, you know, to more stuff, to music that's, you know, been neglected. You know, we are talking about diversity and inclusion, and I think People need to realize that, you know, Armenian music, <laughs> you know, adds diversity you know, into mm-hmm. our, you know, music world and any, you know, anything that we do. And I think just having something fresh and new that's beautiful and exciting is of value. And we also discussed some of the places where we as musicians can be more supportive of each other and of each other's well-being and health. Here's Jane Galloway, Colin Williams, and Christina Scharf. Also, the accompanist mm, moniker almost seems like subservient or a, like a secondary entity. I I played for a violist once who treated me like a boombox. It was just like, start here. Yeah. Okay, stop. Start here. It's like, I'm a person over here. Let's, uh, let's work together. And that did right. not make me feel good. Also... Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of a performance, even if it's with a little child, you need to get up and bow with them because you are a team. And a lot of times the accompanist is not recognized at the end of a performance. And that's sad. It always makes me sad. It seems like less well understood in the brass world. You know, okay. so um, it used to be that if you used to say your chops are, are, are messed up or something like that, people would, you know, it's kind of like, what do they say in golf when, when you have the yips? where you can't do putting anymore and no one wants to be around you. You know, it becomes very strange. I I feel like we're trying to break through that idea. But like it's contagious or something. Yeah, exactly. Like people just don't want to be around there. Oh no, I don't want to think about it because it'll mess me up. Oh Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that, that in the orchestral world, we're becoming more sort of attuned to that kind of stuff. And so people are, if they need a little bit of relief or they need to use some relief services or something like that, then, then they can. I think it had to do with these genre hierarchies. So they would still do that work, I think, because, you know, they all have to butter their bread as it were. Right. And, but they might not advertise it. So I think we quote in, in the article, we quote a research participant who actually plays a lot at weddings and so on. Um, mm-hmm. um, but she said she makes sure that this doesn't appear online, you know. So she presents herself 
as an artist in a particular way online and yet mm -hmm. a lot of her money comes from other work and i think this has exactly to do with the genre hierarchies that we just discussed that there's this idea that certain types of music are more valuable than others mm -hmm. okay yes sure there are problems in the music field just like there are problems in any other professional field so you may be wondering what's with the title saving classical music one teacher at a time well Even though the topics of conversations we've had over the past year were extremely varied, there were two overarching themes that I noticed hiding just underneath the surface. One was the idea of adapting to a changing world, and the second, seemingly unrelated theme was about the influence of music teachers. Here are just a few examples from Jane Galloway, Jenny Boster, Bruce Adolph, William Chapman Nyaho, and Rafi Basalian. Thank you, Miss Lucille, wherever you are now. She's probably long gone. Uh, but she really did teach me how to appreciate and honor the things that were on the page. Even as a child, I learned all those musical terms. And yes. you'd be surprised at how many musicians nowadays, even in college, don't know the difference between, I don't know, meno and pew. And I oh. learned that when I was little. Um, I had a teacher in high school who was like my hero. She totally just inspired me to be a teacher. I wanted to be her. Um, and so I started teaching piano when I was a teenager um, under her suggestion. And eventually they got me a, a fantastic teacher when I was seven. We had a great relationship. And many, many years later, I got her a job at Juilliard. So I paid her back. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you're probably her favorite student. I was her favorite student. Yeah, she she recently died at age 90, but until that time oh. we we were very close. And also was mentored by Oslo Russell, Jamaican composer. Yeah, I mean, he was just like my mentor. I pretty much worshiped him there. It was just wonderful. There was an American teacher there in Moscow at the time who heard me play. She came to me and started talking and asking about my plans after conservatory and all that. And I said, I have to probably be drafted into the army because it's mandatory in Armenia. And at the time, it was a pretty bad time there. Armenia was in war with Azerbaijan and it was just a big conflict. And so there's no way that you should leave all of this and go into the army and fight, you know. And I had no skills. Obviously, I'm a pianist all my life. I've been playing the piano. Anyway, so she said, I can, I'll try to do everything I can to help you to come to America if you want to. And I said, I'll be delighted. So she invited me. And uh, the university actually is Rowan University in New Jersey. And that's where she was a professor. She still is there, actually. Um, anyway, so I ended up being an adjunct there as I arrived and at the same time did my second master's degree there. <laughs> so, yeah, so thanks to Rahman and thanks to Vida Zupancic of Rowan University, here I am in America, you know. And in fact, looking at my roster of guests over this year, out of the working musicians that I've interviewed, all but one has actually been a teacher at some point. Just ask Jared Judge and Keith Bradshaw. My undergrad degree was in music education, and I did have a short career as a public school music teacher, which was so much fun. But I really enjoy teaching. I kind of felt like that was where my calling, if you want to call it that, uh, was, was in teaching. Mm -hmm. 
composition and theory and helping young people develop their talents. So that that's kind of what directed me that way. And, and yes, my father was a very big influence in that. Now, these are all successful musicians. So it's not really a case of those that can't teach because these people obviously can and they obviously do teach. And there are a lot of really qualified music teachers out there making these kinds of impacts every single day. The Music Teachers National Association boasts a membership of 22,000 teachers stretched over 50 states and 500 local affiliates. The National Association for Music Education claims to have 60,000 active, retired, and pre-service members. And so if teachers are actually part of these associations, that means that they have, at the very least, the desire to be involved in continuing education and creating auditions and performance opportunities for their students. And if I think about the music teachers that I know, and I know this is not a scientific study, but most of them do some sort of performing, either in a professional capacity or a volunteer capacity. And obviously not everyone can be a successful teacher. Just as musicians have been inspired by wonderful teachers, a bad teacher can also cause many of the unnecessary struggles musicians have and that we've talked about over the past year. Since my first piano teacher told my parents I had no talent at all, and the reason for that was that um, when I was six, they didn't know how to find a piano teacher. He was not that clean, and he smelled of uh, what I realized was alcohol later and cigars. Oh. And he sat on the bench next to me, and I did not like him. And he knew that I, I didn't like him. So he told my parents I had no musical ability. And they figured out very quickly, you know, that he was a problem. And they also knew that when he was there, I didn't play very much. But when he left, I could pick out tunes that I heard on the radio and I improvised without any music lessons. So they knew he was yeah. wrong. But it was also something the research participants said. They described these stronger hierarchies as something that was also reproduced by teachers in terms mm -hmm. of varying certain forms of music more highly than others or seeing for example musical theater as as a lower art form you know mm -hmm. um, the whole concept of music school it's almost misleading in a way it's basically a gigantic advertisement for a career as a professional musician it mm -hmm. shows you the dream it gives you a taste of it and it teaches you how to get really good at the art of it but they don't teach you how to connect the dots and actually get that career. That was Bruce Adolph, Christina Scharf, and Jared Judge you just heard. But we're not talking about the bad teachers today. We're only talking about the good teachers, the really good teachers, and how they can save classical music. Okay, here's how. One of the biggest problems that orchestras, choirs, and performing artists face is a diminishing audience. It's no secret that general subscribers has been declining for decades. I don't know. There's just a lot of different reasons, but the audience is declining and the audience is getting older. There are newspaper and research articles galore claiming classical music is dead or classical music isn't dead, really. But it's not difficult to see that though the Christmas concerts are always sold out, subscribers in general are becoming older and orchestras and other ensembles have to think ahead as to how to replace those subscribers with the next generation. But guess what didn't decline in 2020? Music lessons. Those actually increased a lot. Parents were desperate for kids to have something they could do during lockdown. They were looking for a way for kids to deal with their anxiety and social isolation in a creative way. They started music lessons, something easily done over the internet with the aid of Zoom and other great technology. 
And the music teachers that I know were completely overfilled. Their schedules were completely packed. And they were still constantly getting inquiries from parents looking for musical enrichment for their kids. And not just from their area. They had kids from all over the world asking to be in their studios through the miracle of Zoom. And we're not the only ones. According to Andrew Gaint, co-founder of Chicago-based Wisent, an online marketplace for private tutors, cello tutors experienced a 450% increase in students and a 400% rise in lessons in April 2020. And by October, the number had grown to a 4,500% increase in students and a 4,730% increase in lessons. That is a massive increase, and that is a massive number of students starting their musical journey. And it wasn't just students taking up a new instrument, but young people in general started listening to classical music again as well. The joint report from Deezer, BPI, and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra showed that 18 to 25-year-olds accounted for one-third of classical streamers worldwide during 2020. And RPO's research found that 35% of the people who responded to the survey who were under 35 felt that listening to orchestral music during lockdown had helped them to relax and helped them to feel a sense of calmness and well-being. And another 18% said that the music had actually lifted their spirits in the time of uncertainty and isolation. So the value of classical music actually had somewhat of a revival during lockdown. People were starting to understand the wonderful things that music can do. And when the performances started coming back, mainly outdoors and streamed over the internet early, early in 2021, more people were exposed to classical music than in years past. So people are now realizing that they love and need classical music. Now the trick is how to turn them into lifelong concert goers and music lovers. And that's where the teachers come in. And those who found solace in music lessons are now in the hands of hopefully qualified and passionate teachers. And it's up to those teachers that see them weekly to foster that love and foster that connection to classical music that will stay with them for the rest of their lives. That's a huge load to have on their shoulders. What on earth should they do? Well, here's advice from the Musicians versus the World 2021 guests. We've got Jenny Boster, William Chapman Nayaho, Bruce Adolph, Colin Williams, and Rafi Basalian are giving their advice. Because we are raising the next generation of musicians. And so, you know, what right. they learn and what they play, they'll be, they'll come to love and they'll come, you know, they'll try to find more works by that composer. And I think, so I think mm -hmm. we do have a really important role in that. You know, as teachers, we have such a huge responsibility in caring for our students. That we, you know, mm -hmm. It's really good to know where they're from, who they are, how to craft your teaching to suit each person's needs, you know? I think imagination is a natural human thing that all children have. And it's our job as adults to encourage that. And of course, what happens is it does get a little bit constrained, often by school. And that usually happens with tests. And yeah, as we grow up, we lose some of the ease of imagination that children naturally have. That's true. So it needs to be cultivated. God, being a student for what we do is tough. It's really tough. It's really tough. Yeah. You know? um, and you can tell, you know, especially if you've been through it, you can sort of tell when someone is having a hard time. So there are times and lessons where I'll, 
you know, we'll stop and be like, listen, you know, if you're feeling really down, if you're feeling like this is something, something that's keeping you from being able to practice, you start by trying to seek out some health. I always recommend that they go speak to the, um, uh, whatever the proper department is at the school that they're at. And so there's really the whole thing of, you have to, you have to take care of your, your, your physical health on the instrument, but you also have to be really aware of your overall mental health. And then you need some very specific, you know, tools to deal with the mental game of taking an audition or performing in a high pressure situation. So there's like these, it feels like there's these three facets to what we have to deal with and to be able to unlock the maximum potential that we can of ourselves. Sometimes you want to hear encouragement, you know, because encouragement is part of this too. You know, it can inspire you and encourage you to do more, obviously. Um, however, in this country, you know, I realized when I first especially arrived here, I realized it's a lot of encouragement and not enough criticism, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the middle ground would be good. You need to find a balance, you know, of encouragement and criticism, you know, and that I think that would be good. In addition, if they are smart, music teachers will also connect their students with a really good collaborative pianist who can help to teach them the joys of ensemble playing, further solidifying that human connection that music can bring. And as a bonus, it creates more jobs for more musicians, making music teachers themselves actual revenue builders for musicians directly. Here's Jane Galloway. I know a lot of the uh, private teachers in town, you know, the violin mm -hmm. teachers and voice teachers, and they have seen me and heard me play and are aware of me. And so they recommend me to their students. They're really yes. my biggest agents are the private teachers. So there you have it. The pandemic reminded the general public what music can do for the soul. The teachers are now making connections, fostering a work ethic, teaching about self-care and maybe some some of the norms that are expected at concerts, you know, because sometimes if you don't know how you're supposed to act and when you go to a concert, you may not be comfortable there. And teachers can introduce students to those codes of conduct in a very loving and supportive way so that they feel like they are part of that community. Maybe they make a concert attendance as an assignment for their students. Perhaps they can coordinate a studio trip to a performance to inspire their students for further connection or to inspire them to maybe become musicians themselves. And at that point, the performers have a shared role to play in keeping the audience there. And one of the ways that students can connect with an orchestra is by seeing people that look like them in that performance, whether it's in the ensemble or as the composer that is writing and composing the music. Here's Jenny Boster. One other point that I think is really important is we haven't really touched on is that I think that students need role models. So we've had, we have all these male composers that we've all learned, but we need female role models. I think that our female students need to know, oh, I could be like that. You know, I could compose mm -hmm. because there just hasn't been that. And I think back to my, my teacher in high school, I wanted to be her. I wanted to be a mom and she was a mom and she also had this great career teaching piano and was so inspirational. Mm -hmm. And I think it can work the same way with composers. Having right. those, those women that maybe look more like us that we can look up mm -hmm. to, I think is really important. It's really important for our students to know they can do amazing things. Here's Christina Scharf again. We also know from research on um, screened auditions that mm -hmm. they have had a big effect in terms of increasing the number of women in orchestras, in American orchestras. There's a brilliant study mm -hmm. on that. Um, and it's also had a positive effect on, on the hiring of um, Black and Asian musicians. Um, there's more 
um, diversity in U.S. orchestras than in Euro- mm-hmm. European orchestras. And William Chapman Nayao has a glorious vision of what the future of music and music teaching is going to be in the next few years. I think I just see a glorious land of just new sounds accompanied by old sounds, you know, where it would be so nice to go to an opera and not have to see something for the umpteenth time, but, you know, hear a new opera, mm-hmm. you know, with jazz overtones, like mm-hmm. what's happening at the Met. That's right. You know, where, you know mm-hmm. that it should just be available to all, you mm-hmm. know. I just look forward to a time where we can all just embrace each other for our uniqueness and for our stories. I mean, every Bach prelude and fugue is is played differently by people, you know, and we try to honor them, right? We accept them for what they have to offer. Why can't there be a hundred different versions of Nkiru Okoye's Harriet Tubman piece Mm -hmm. work, you know. Mm -hmm. And there is some good news on that front. A study conducted by Dawn Foundation on 100 orchestras worldwide found that in the 2020-2021 season, 5% of the pieces were written by women. Just over 1% of the pieces were performed and composed by Black and Asian women, and just over 2% were written by Black and Asian men. But a study done by Women's Philharmonic Advocacy had slightly different numbers due to the fact that they only studied American orchestras. And their research shows a good trend. It shows 6.5% in the 2019-2020 season, 7.8% in the 2020-2021 seasons, and 11.9% in the 2021-2022 season. So there's becoming more diverse programming in these orchestras. And a little shout out to the Atlanta Symphony. They have planned for the 2021-2022 season to have 10% of their programming being composed by women. And the New York Philharmonic and Philadelphia Orchestra have also planned 22% of their programming being composed by women. So if we're wanting to include more musicians into classical music, and if we're wanting to fill the seats of concerts that are including more diverse composers than Beethoven and Brahms, it's not the silver-haired regulars that are currently filling the seats we have to convince. It's the people who will be the silver-haired regulars decades from now. If we want to fill the seats tomorrow, we have to introduce the music to children today. We need to keep the passion going through the teachers to the next generation. The teachers are the ones that are going to be helping the children develop their love for music and become lifelong music lovers. And we know it works because your music teacher did the same for you. So this December, send a card to your music teacher if you are lucky enough to have them still alive. Not only are they an integral part of your past, and not only are they the chief marketers for collaborative pianists, but they are the ones priming the ears of the next generation of concert goers. So not only are they an integral part of your past, They are also an integral part of your future as well. As a final gift to you, my wonderful and dedicated listeners, here are a couple of my favorite gems of advice overall from 2021. And they come from Rafi Basalian, Keith Bradshaw, and Doug Wilkes. Oh, just believe in yourself, trust yourself, 
And if you love it, no matter what obstacles you have, you will overcome and you'll, you'll make it one way or another. You know, I always tell my students, you know, there are so many ways you can be a musician. There are so many avenues for musicians. As we spoke here, you know, you can record, you can edit, you can accompany, you can be a soloist, you can teach, you know, or you can do combination of one or few or all of them. You know, it depends on your interests and your level and ability, but you will find your place if you want to do it. If you really want to do it, if you believe in it, and, you know, I think it's all possible. And keep at it. Be good. Be really good at what you do. And that's whether you go into music or something else and do it the best it's, you know, that you can and that it's capable of being done and things will work out. The only thing I would say, and I say this to journalists, I say, look, it's going to be stressful every day. So, you know, just enjoy the ride, enjoy what you're doing, or in some ways, enjoy the music, um, enjoy the music of what happens. I'm stealing that from a, Alaskan novel um, that's called The Music of What Happens. It's based on this old sort of story about a great chief is asked, you know, what is the finest music in the world? And um, they go through these different sounds, the sound of a bird, all this. And then the great chief says, the greatest music is the music of what happens. And I think that's true in life. It's like you just enjoy the ride. And one of the last little bits of advice that is good for everyone, not just musicians, going into 2022 comes from Matt Kenyon. Just don't be a jerk. You know, that's what Chris, that's what, <laughs> that's what Chris Madigan told me, you know, he, he used more colorful language, but he basically said, the composer of Cuphead, I was like, you know, how do you get gigs? How do you meet people? How do you network? He's just like, just don't be a jerk. And that's it, everyone. Don't be a jerk. Go thank your music teacher. And as I'm going to be taking a couple weeks off to enjoy the holidays with my family, this is the last Musicians vs. the World episode for 2021. So this is a perfect time for you to go back and listen to not only any 2021 interviews you may have missed, but also some of the older ones too. And share this episode or any other episodes you enjoy with friends. The more you follow us or leave reviews, the easier it is for others to find us as well. And here at Musicians vs. the World, we'd love to help as many musicians and music lovers as we can. We will be back in January with fun and very fascinating interviews with the amazing musicians Christopher Norton and Bei Bei Lin. So keep an eye out for those. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. If you have any topics you'd like to be discussed or questions about music or musician life that you'd like answered, be sure to reach out on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Or send us an email at info at frostedlens.com. Thanks so much and have a very happy holidays, everyone. <laughs>